How does Christ tell us we should listen to His Word? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God. Let me uh, let me pray. I, I am I. We're starting a we're starting a new series, as we are guests uh, on on the book of John, and uh, I heard the story. My father told me this story yesterday when I was expressing my reservations, some of my anxieties about preaching on John, and. My dad reminded me of something that James Montgomery Boyce, and by the way, if you come across that name, have a chance to listen on a podcast, he's available. Uh, he's extraordinary. And, uh, and you actually sat under his teaching for a season, did you not? Or was that before your time? Just a brief time. I sat under his teaching for years uh, in his radio, his radio show. Now, but he was asked at some point why he had not preached through the Psalms. He had a, had a huge catalog of preaching for many years. He had not preached through the Psalms. And he said, honestly, I never felt mature enough. I never felt like I was mature enough to give them adequate wisdom, insight, whatever. That's how I feel about John. I feel like I'm not mature enough to preach on this. But luckily for us, it's not about me. So let's pray. <laughs> let's pray. Let's ask for our Father. Lord, dearest Father, uh, we come to you because we, 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 uh, we heard this read, and uh, many parts of what was just read, some of us fell asleep, some of us got distracted, some of us um, just are in different places, wondering you know, where, what this has to do with uh, ordinary life. 
And, uh, and so many of us come, we hit this, uh, your word at so many different levels in our life, so different places, and from so many different places. And some of us have had long, dark nights uh, recently. Some of us have, are still trying to figure out how to recover from abuse. Some of us are just uh, so afraid about what's going to happen tomorrow, uh, we can barely think straight. And some of us wonder if the Christian life is not just a cheat because we've seen so little power. All right, that's where we are, Father. I pray that you would fill me with the power I need to preach. You finally teach this man uh, how, to, how to speak for you in a way that pleases you, and that you forgive the sins of the one who speaks, because there are many. And we ask, Father, we would ask we would, that we would see Jesus. Amen. Yeah, it's the introductory kind of moment, you know, and how do, how do I achieve an adequate introduction to the book of John? How do I achieve an adequate introduction to this gospel? One of the struggles we're going to have with John is that John exists uh, almost sui generis. It's, it, it, it is, there is nothing like it in history. It is not a typical genre of history itself. It's not historical writing in the, in, the, uh, in the classic way we think of it. No, in fact, it's theological writing. Often, uh, John's sentence structures are strange and different. They're punctiliar, and they move with tremendous speed and almost a sort of poetic elegance as, as we heard the opening passage. It's, it's lyrical. The Greek is so simple. I can read the Greek without any aids, just by picking it up. Because it's baby Greek. This is John's second language. He's writing and thinking in a language foreign to him because he would have spoken Aramaic as a child. But, uh, but we know, and as we reach back into time, there, was a, there were puzzles about the genre of John from the very beginning. People noticed right away. And there's a, there's a seam, and this is one of the, this is very unusual for the New Testament, by the way. Uh, there's a little seam, a little thread that ties historically through, uh, through um, uh, different saints, Papias and Polycarp. And these two people, Papias and Polycarp, we don't have any more Papias' writings left, just quotes, and Polycarp were both in Asia Minor, and John dies in Asia Minor. Right around 100, probably, we don't know. But they recount people who knew him and how they knew him. He was the elder in the church of Ephesus, one of the elders. Well, anyway, he moves around a little bit, but the point being, there's, a, there's an historical note where somebody who is, I guess, it bridges that, there's a weird gap at the end of the New Testament, A.D. Uh, 60 or 70. We don't get a lot of writings until about the middle of the first century, about 150. And not as many. There's a Didache, some things like that. But my only point here is to put it out there. John is, it has this wonderful pedigree. And the reason I want to say that is that feeds into John's purpose and his genre. I think that John would be so delighted to know that the earliest fragments of any, old, any New Testament text are from his book. The oldest fragments from before the end of the first century. You know why he'd be so happy? Because he wrote this with a purpose. He has in mind, he has in mind for you and for me, a very particular goal. And he describes it in chapter 20, verses 30 
and 31. That's why I included, there's a little break there. You'll notice there's a blank space. Those first uh, 14 uh, verses in John 1 are going to be the stuff we are going to eat. I mean, and we are going to eat, and if we're going to, are you marinating at all for barbecue today? Yeah, you're marinating. Why do you marinate? Makes it taste better. And it tenderizes. It adds flick. We're going to marinate until we start to taste like Jesus and the New Testament church. Anybody with me? I want to, I'm serious. I'm ready to park over this until I understand it. And that means we might not get out of John 1 for a year. But we'll, we're going to try. We're going to try to go faster than that. But the reason I, I want to start here is I want to start with the question of genre. If you go to, a, if you go to a, your local bookstore, I know we don't go to bookstores anymore. But I still, I still go. There was one, well, one yesterday. Pay some attention. This is really, really true of Barnes and Nobles because you can see how the organization. You can see the, you can see Borders was like this. You can see the like there's thrillers and over there's horror. That's fantasy. That's young adult. But if you pay attention, you'll notice the color palette changes for the backs of the books. The scripts change. On the, and in other words, you are being, before you even decide on how, what you want to read, you're being, genre, you're making a decision about what you want, what kind of book you want. And, it, and so we are sensitive to genre. And so is, how many of you like true crime? Very, okay, true crime. And usually people like true crime are not really big into Game of Thrones, you know, or fantasy. Like they don't want that. Some people don't like fantasy, they're the romance fiction. Romance fiction, you can, can you picture a romance cover? Just kind of picture me with my hair in the breeze, sitting on a beachy, on a beachy scene, looking with a horse behind me. I got a horse. That's a horse. <laughs> I'm making fun of myself. All right, so, but what we're doing, it, it, we, we realize it, and, 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 and this is a genre that is un, very unusual for us. And let's take a look at what, what, I'm, what I'm describing here in chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke never say that they're witnesses. They always say they're collators. Well, Luke tells us that. They never say, I was there. But this writer does. And then after he says this, after he talks about the abundance of material, he says what? But these are written. Look, there are so many things, the other signs that Christ did. And he, what is he saying? I am an editor. I am historically an editor. I'm cutting stuff out. Uh, it's, this, is, this is how Polycarp describes it. John decided after reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he read them, that he would write a spiritual gospel. A different take. A different spin. A different vantage point. And we're going to see, that's, I think John does this masterfully. He goes into places that the other writers don't go with a certain flair and personality. But the genre, what is this genre? He's an editor, he is a persuader. This is, this is verse 31, but these are written, so that you, what? Might believe. And I guess this is one of my questions. I don't think we are, I don't think we are necessarily, as I described the Borders or the, or the Barnes & Noble bookstore, we don't have a, 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 a section for persuasion. Uh, and, and in fact, that we, we wouldn't even think to have it. 
And we know, uh, Wickham probably has it, everybody's got like these little brochures, and one of those little brochures meant to be an online presence, they're all persuaders, they're all meant to give you the picture and say, come stay here, and uh, the persuade, and persuasive dialogue, persuasive uh, uh, narrative, persuasive genre is a little bit new. In other words, I don't think I can preach on John or should ever speak on John without asking you, Simon, to make a decision to follow Christ. Because that's the purpose of the book. And, and we have to, we're going to have to live in a kind of urgency. I think John's going to invite us into urgency, into some purposeful living, into, some, into thinking about what we're saying and why we're saying it and what we're including and how we're editing our own story. In fact, I think John in John 1 is going to teach us how to build a bridge into San Francisco and into this generation. It's thinking. He's going to show us how he did it and invite us into the same process. But it's persuasive. So I guess, and I, 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 unapologetically, maybe you're not ready. And that's why I want to prepare you. Nelly. I want you to be ready. You might not be ready to have somebody on a Sunday morning tell you you have to make a decision. <laughs> tell you that you must respond. But... I will, I'm doing injury to John if I don't do that. I'm not honoring his words, his experience, and his purposes as somebody who loved Jesus. All right, let's take a look at these purposes because they're going to animate everything in the book. And we're going to go over them. And then next week, we're going to do John 1, verse 1. And hopefully, we'll get through the first clause. Uh, I, and you think, that, you think I'm just making fun. There's so much here for us to enjoy. There's, there's, this, is a, this is a state dinner, theologically, trust me. There's tons to eat, and we'll enjoy ourselves. Okay, but persuasion. So what is he trying to persuade you of? And what is the goal of this, this, this strange book and this strange genre? The first thing you'll see there, what is he, he wants to persuade you. He wrote and he edited the stories so you would do what? So you would believe. So you would believe. Let me, if I can, persuade you about faith. To persuade you to believe. What, what does that mean? You might, might for a moment think, okay, Chris, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. I came here today. Tell me something I, so I can assent to it and say, I agree with you. I'm a Christian. I agree with you. I agree with some of these things that are being said. I think the Bible's a good book. And, and this is classically the problem most pastors have and most churches have, even the city, is we do have a lot of people who will do what? Nod their heads. Uh, is that, do you have any nodders? Oh, Peter's a nodder. Peter nods. And when you discover with a good nodder, Abby does it too. And, when, and when certain people, when they nod, it's tempting as a leader, teacher, preacher, or speaker to think they agree with you but they don't necessarily agree with you. It just means they're listening. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, thank you, thank you. And he nods, and he goes, who knows what that means now? And so, and so but, but seriously, um, there's this, uh, um, I, lost my, I lost my train of thought there. What was I just talking? Oh, we're, we want to move past ascent. And it's not enough for you, for me to deliver a series of information. No, you have to trust in Jesus. There's a step here in a commitment of faith, life, mind, heart, body, soul, sexuality, money, take whatever you please, but 
There, there is, right at, the, right at the outset, he wants to convince you what faith is, persuade you what faith is and why it's so important. And it's importance cannot be oversold if you do not have faith, my dear sister, and if you don't make a decision of faith, my dear brother, then you do not know God. Why do I know that? Because when he says by faith, it means there's nothing else. Faith as a mechanism, let's call it a mechanism, as I persuade you about it, it's meant to instruct you that you, if you will come to God and know him, you, if you will come and know the son and be transformed by, this, by, by, by the spiritual experience of Jesus, that it, it can only be without any works, without any of your labors, and without your adding to it. It is by grace. And so faith guarantees it must be by grace. And it's not faith in more faith even. No. It's faith of the content, as we'll see. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So faith, I... It's, now there's a mistake that gets made right here where people think uh, Hollywood's all about faith. You've got to believe in yourself. Believe in belief. I can believe more. Don't be... We're not going to stay in that trap. We're not going to get... We're not going to make faith... The one good thing you have to do. No, 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 no. Because we're John's going to say nobody comes to the Father in John six unless the Father draws him. This is why I'm not. This is why I'm afraid of preaching on John. Maybe fear is not the right word. I. It's not fear. Now, because I know it's not that. It's more like a. I just know you're not going to like everything John says. <laughs> John is a very equal opportunity offender, and he is not going to go. He is not. He is not friendly with San Francisco. And I, and I mean that quite sincerely. So I'm going to proceed to you about faith and ask you to make a decision for Christ if you have it. And if you do know Christ, then I ask you and invite you to turn again to your faith with new joy. Why not? Because we're being presented Jesus. What else? The second thing I want to add, the second part of this is a preposition. Will you look with me at the preposition? It comes at the very end of this, of this statement. These things are written, you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In, um, to believe in something. Uh, I, was talking to, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. Uh, this is such a weird uh, part of uh, the American language. Uh, English, uh, uh, the way we use idioms. You know, I'm not going to put up with you anymore. I'm not going to put up. What does that mean? Why does that mean I'm not going to tolerate you? Idioms are weird. They, they're weird turns of speech. And they're very common in English. I'm not going to put up with that. Uh, you need to shut up. Well, so there's a bunch of them. Uh, you're out of time. What does that mean? Uh, they, they don't make sense as statements, but they make sense because we know them. You might glide over that preposition to believe in and miss it all. Because the second thing I want to persuade you of is about mystical, spiritual union with Jesus Christ. <laughs> in him. I want to invite you into eternal life. That's the life that's being described here. I want to invite you into that life and the only way that I can invite you into that life is by your being in, joined, joined in some, some way that I cannot even begin to describe, held and possessed by who God is. You must be in him. 
that preposition in Greek, it, looks, it sounds just like it does in English. It's in, en. As one of the great, great grammarians, and there are great grammarians, I, 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 I always feel alone when I start talking about how much I like grammar. Uh, <laughs> but someday, somebody will bring somebody who understands my, my pain and joy. Uh, there you go, back in the back, that gets close. Yeah, that's right. Um, but there's a, the in, the prepositional statements in the New Testament achieve a metaphysical reality. No, 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 no. No, you think by faith this becomes real. So it's, if there's a, and when I start talking about this, I get real anxious, so let me calm down. I'm not anxious, I get excitable. Um, because this, at this moment, we're, we're drawing near to the utter incomprehensible mystery, God in us, with us, in us, in you, and only in him and in his name. And so what's the, what am I trying to persuade you? You need to get in Jesus. Sometimes the preposition is used into, get into Jesus. You know what I love about this preposition? What is it communicating? Connect, something kinetic, something active, something connectional, something real. Something immediate. When I say immediate, I mean in its old sense. In other words, there is nothing mediating between us. We have, we are that like that. That's what's being promised. That's what I'm. That's what I'm inviting. That's what you're being invited into. The the, the bread goes in you, right? It goes in you and becomes my toenails. And, and so these are Jesus' fingernails. I got Jesus' fingernails. I do. I got Jesus' fingernails and Jesus' hair. I got you. Is that weird? That's how weird this is. Have I, I want to persuade you. Get in here. Let me show you how important in is as a concept. How vital. The Bible describes a barbaric God at times. Did you know that? I'm not apologizing for him. But it seems barbaric to us. For example, the ancients, the ancient Hebrews, were commanded to gut and slaughter repeatedly with blood spray every day animals for one purpose, to show them they would need something to stand in their, in, for them. A substitution had to be made. And the animals were just meat. They weren't a true substitution. And it's somewhere ingrained deep in this ancient culture, and it looks very different from us, there is, it must be blood, and it must be payment, and there must be, there must be substitution. And this is where this word in achieves its theological cash. Because at that moment, there's an idea that you are now located in Christ's presence on the cross, Jenna. You are located there, and your belief, you are, you are put there in him. And so in him, you are him before the Father. You are. You have all of his righteous holiness and nothing, no stain can remain in Jesus, the Son. So therefore, no stain remains in Jesus. And the word in then begins a way for us to begin to apply what it must mean for a holy God to love us and it means to really love us <laughs> and to get that in. <laughs> and it's into our mess. It's into... It's in who we are. 
I can't even begin to mine how much is in this idea. Holiness, you know why holiness is important? Jesus is in you when you go and do the things that you should not do. These are Jesus' eyes and Jesus' hands because I'm in him. So if I persuaded you, hopefully, begun to persuade you, man, you know, sometimes I, th- I would hope, I would think I would succeed in this moment here, uh, this act of persuasive speaking, that I would succeed right in this moment if I could just persuade you to, to want to want these things. Right, right. Like some of you, maybe you're so far away from this, you're like, Chris, you're not going to convince me to believe. And Chris, I don't know what this in stuff. I've never felt God. I feel removed from it. Your persuasion is an epic fail. And I would say, okay, if my persuasion is a fail, I receive that. I'm fine with failing. I would invite you then, I would invite you to uh, just begin to ask for a desire for these things. Why not? What would it hurt? What's the last thing I want to persuade you about? That John needs to persuade you about. Because John chapter 20, verse 31 right here, is the thesis statement for John. These things were written that you may know, that you may believe, and may have life in the Son of God. We've looked at belief, we've looked at in. What's the final part? Remember how I said earlier, I'm not inviting you to believe more in belief. That's a very common thing in our, in our generation. If you believe harder, you believe harder. But the only thing that makes belief real is what its belief, what its object is. That its object is what determines whether it's valid. And what's my point? I'm here to, uh, if I, I could imagine being in just about any church, probably almost any religious group at all, and you could do some editing. I mean, not even Christian or anything. You could do some editing of what I just said with my recording. And you could tell if you took out some Jesus words, and you might have what most, what most, what most faiths believe. Dude, you have, more, you have to believe more. more. And there's, we're all about being united with God, united together. All this language could pass off and could sound a lot like a lot of churches around us. And in fact, that is the me- people get excited about the message I've said so far and stop right there. And if you stop there, you have a false gospel. If you stop there, you don't know the genre. You don't know John. And you don't know why John's so earnest. Because John is so earnest because his eyes have set on the Son of God. He, all right, maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you don't believe he actually saw the Son of God. But just picture this. Picture somebody thinks they did. How do you think they would act? All bets would be off, right? I mean, that would be life-changing. Even if I was mistaken, if that was my belief and conviction that I had experienced in, 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 just, the, in just the common things of bumping up against each other and, and getting dressed in the morning and finding a place to, to, to camp down for the night and, and go to the bathroom. And I, and I, that's, and, but it was all with the Son of God, by the way. You see... You have to pardon my enthusiasm or my desire, not just my enthusiasm. You don't, I won't know. I'm not going to ask for a pardon for it. I'm not going to apologize for it. Why am I in earnest? Why am I in earnest? Because if these things are true, if this persuasive attempt which I make to invite you into faith in Jesus Christ, that you may be locked in his blood and locked into the cross and forgiven and transformed by God, if that be true, I should be shouting, right? I should be, I, I, would, I should, 
But who will hold me back? If those things are true, they necessitate. And this is where I want to spin around with you all and say, yeah, and so you have to, if these things are true for you, we need to learn from John. You know, we need to be people who are persuasive gestures and invitations to faith. Persuasive images of our joy of being in God. What does it mean to act like a man who's in God? <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? What's it like to... It's interesting to think, isn't it? God in you? Which means God's in the Coast Guard? Really? Do you feel like there's any God or any, God is anywhere around your, your Coast Guard station half the time? But he is, because you're there. And so, you know, the way John ends... He had a living encounter with Jesus. He edited it out so he could tell a story that would persuade people to believe in Christ. So I guess my point then is, then that's what I want to see happen now. Like, let's keep keep this cycle going, right? John saw it, believed it. John changed my life. I remember John 3.16. I remember John 3 was was the passage I came to Christ on. I love this book. But in turn, I would, I would, I'm a cheat and a liar, and I, 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 I actually betray the intentions of John if I could never sit here and listen just to get facts. No, I must believe. And it's a shame to, to stand here and, and, and say, oh, I, I'm going to learn something about John, and I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to know more about penal substitution. But that's not enough if you haven't, if you're not actually in him. Finally, uh, this is not a religious exercise. This is. Nothing less than knowing and me presenting and us praising Jesus Christ, the Son of God, without ambiguity, without reservation, and without no fear. So in the end, think about it this way. The Holy Spirit will have won, and, and this will be a stunning moment of victory for us in, this, in our community here in San Francisco when we become Johns. <laughs> that didn't sound right. Uh, I've never, I can't recover from that. Uh, All right. Uh, Did you get the joke? Uh, 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 Yeah. Uh, All right. All right. I'm I'm, I'm backing off now. Should never go off script, Chris. Never go off script. Uh, Huh? What was that? What was I ever on script? <laughs> you know, I'm always on script, actually. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, you understand then, there's, a, there's an opportunity here for this to, in a sense, branch out from here exponentially. Here's the, here's, the, here's the deal. You meet Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and by faith believe in him, which means that as you bring nothing, it's a complete gift of his love. You now are locked in to divine love, and frankly, John can't help himself. And in the end, when the Holy Spirit shows up here and we really know what it is to believe into Jesus and trust him with our lives, our hearts, our careers, our sexuality, our money, our everything, that we become, it's, it becomes centrifugal. It must have out. It's got to get out. You, you, joy is infectious. And the reality is John is bursting at the seams to give people another vision of Jesus Christ because the three that were there were fantastic, but there's so much more to tell. And there's so much more to do. And so I invite you and I send you as, as persuasive agents. And that you'll be alive, so alive with Christ. People see him living in you and want to trust him because you do. Let's pray.
Father, your goodness knows no end. I, the act of persuading another can be such a, a selfish thing to do, a manipulative thing to do. Uh, we have persuasive techniques and ways of manipulating. Uh, the, the, there's a billion, it's a billion dollar industry. You know it, Father, how men want to use other men and women for their own ends. But we, are, no, we don't come to do that. We don't come to manipulate here, Father. We come here to say thank you for your love for us. We come into the table here, and we're going to take a cracker and wine. We're going to put it in us, and, and we ask you to be in us that way and to make us your people, radiating and witnessing and bearing witness that we, have, we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Praise you in Christ. Amen. Our first response to the sermon is to get him in us. <laughs> get it? So simple. It's meant to be childlike. A child can understand it. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. This is gluten-free for those who have concerns about that. In the same way, he also poured a cup of wine, saying, This is my blood shed for the for." Forgiveness of sins, take and drink. Oh, here come the kids. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. All right, we're Presbyterians. We're Presbyterians here. We don't do altar calls. Uh, 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 we do a reverse altar call. So what I mean by that is, come forward and get the bread and the wine if you know, if you know Jesus. If you're a sinner, a ruined man or a ruined woman, whose only hope and trust is that you are in Jesus at the cross. You are covered in him by faith and not by your good deeds, not by your good labors, not by your performance. If that's what you think right now, then this is your table. Get on up here. You're coming weak and weary and, and barely believing. Get on up here. And listen, that's this. This is the first application of this message. God in you. And if you think you're unholy, isn't it amazing a holy God would live with us, live with us. I love that. And that's because of Jesus. Second, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little harsh. This is my reverse altar call. If you think you're a good woman, or if you think you're a good man, then you're not worthy of this table. In fact, I don't think you're worthy to clean up the table afterwards. Because good people are forever barred from believing in Jesus Christ this time. If you're a skeptic in all this metaphysical conversation that I just had, sounds like a bunch of nonsense. Um, I get that. I was once there. I get that. Um, then I ask you to watch what we're doing. Watch our communion. Watch as we take God in us by faith. And I'm going to pray that someday you'll be able to join us because I want you to feel invited into that same union and joy and confidence I have in Jesus. All right. Let's... Uh, we're going to enter some chaos here. We're going to do the Nicene Creed. And after the Nicene Creed, I ask you to come forward, take the cup and the, and the bread back to your, to your seat. And then after we're done singing, we'll, uh, we'll eat and drink together. So uh, First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco, brothers and sisters from, who are guests, uh, uh, Church of God uh, here assembled. Tell me, what do we believe we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, Christ the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten and not created, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary and was made man, was also crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen.